Hello friends and welcome back to another episode of Seems Like Diet Culture, the podcast where we discuss wellness trends, tips, rules, influencers, and everything in between. And I give you the no BS educated opinion on if those things are legit or not. So you legit or not. So you can decide how you'd like to incorporate them into your life. I'm so happy that you're here today. If you are new to the podcast, my name is Mallory Page and I'm a registered dietitian and I'm also your host. And today's episode is going to be a quick nitty gritty episode. It's so funny because when I started this podcast, I was thinking that the episodes would be 15 to 20, maybe 30 minutes. But I should have known better because I'm such a talker and I always want to get into every single angle of the topic. And so, of course, they are they're longer than that. But we're going to shoot for that length with this one because we're talking about emotional eating. And I really just want to give you guys the truth on this topic from all different sides and also how to deal with it. And not just the diet culture-y kind of... I don't know, not helpful ways to deal with it, but all the ways to deal with it and also why emotional eating could be coming up for you because it can be a real thing, but it can also be something that you think you're doing when in reality, it's really something much bigger. Now, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my cat because he is currently sliding around on the blanket trying to nuzzle himself into the like crevices of it and cover himself, which I've told him a few times, if he wants to be invited into the podcast room, he must sit quietly. So we'll see how that goes. And if you guys can hear it, can you listen? Can you hear him? Mm hmm. Otis. All right, let me just cover him, then he'll leave us alone. All right, he is situated. We'll see how long this lasts. But in the meantime, we are going into the place that we always start, which is what the heck is emotional eating? So emotional eating, there's no technical definition for it. It's more of a term that has kind of been made up and mostly widely accepted, but that doesn't always mean that there's one specific way that we can characterize it. The best definition that I found is emotional eating, also known as stress eating, or emotional overeating is defined as the propensity to eat in response to positive and negative emotions. And I thought that this was a good definition because it does highlight something that's important. Most of us think that emotional eating comes from negative emotions and coping that way, but it's very important to speak to the positive emotions that can come up that can also cause emotional eating too. The best way to describe it, in my opinion, is It's eating to suppress or soothe negative emotions such as stress, anger, fear, boredom, sadness, and loneliness, or eating to celebrate positive emotions of enthusiasm, excitement, any of those type of things. Now, the reason why this happens is much more complicated. And these things that I'm about to go through that can be reasons why emotional eating occurs are important to remember for the second half of our conversation as well of how do we stop this because those two things go very much so together, right? So I'm going to go through a few different things. Don't think that this is a full out list of every single possibility, but these are the biggest ones that we see. So the number one thing that can cause emotional eating is stress. I'm sure you've noticed how when you get stress, it can either make you hungry or it can make you not as hungry. That is something that is not only 
consistent with how we all feel, but consistent with science, especially stress with hunger. So when stress is chronic, it it often creates something in your body called cortisol because you're in this fight or flight mode. Cortisone cortisol is a stress hormone. And when there is high cortisol, it triggers cravings for salty, sweet, fried foods, anything that give you a burst of energy and pleasure. So when you have uncontrolled stress in your life, it is not only more likely to cause you to turn to food emotionally just because you're dealing with that emotion itself, but also physically because these changes can occur. Now, we also have the flip side of this, right, where if you're really stressed and that makes you not as hungry, again, because you're in fight or flight mode, so you're not even noticing that you're hungry, it can create that shift later on in the day where once the stress of the day wears off, you end up eating a lot more. So you can see how all of those things go together in this. Now, number two is stuffing emotions. And I like how they just prick this because... Stuffing down emotions is exactly what so many of us do. It's basically a way to temporarily silence emotions that make you feel uncomfortable, such as anger, fear, sadness, anxiety, loneliness, resentment, shame, or any other number of things. And it really is a numbing tool that people use. You know, some people use alcohol or drugs or exercise or you know, any other number of things. There's so many things that you can use to do this, but food can also be that way and it really can help you to avoid those difficult emotions rather than feel them. But we're going to discuss later if this is really something that is positive or if it's a negative. Now, boredom and feelings of emptiness or loneliness can also contribute to this. It's that full, that full feeling of like, I'm going to eat just because I don't have anything to do right? It can fill a void. If you're feeling unfulfilled, empty, it can add in that pleasure and it can also occupy your body, right? You can, you're chewing when you're doing this, you have a flavor. It's giving you something to focus on. In the moment, it obviously fills you up, but really it is just somewhat of a distraction. Now, the happiness of food and childhood habits can also tie to this. And why I put these two things together is because When it comes to childhood memories, obviously we can have positive and negative correlations. So maybe you think back to when you were ever rewarded, right, for something. What were you rewarded with if you got a good grade or you did a good game or whatever it was? A lot of the time it can be food, like ice cream or pizza or something along those lines. And even in those moments, those foods can be things that your parents or your guardians didn't typically give you. So it even reinforced that whole idea of those foods themselves are only okay when you do something right. Now, these also can just be something that create general happiness, right? Maybe you remember cooking dinner with your family and sitting around the dinner table, and that was always such a positive experience for you that you really have a big tie to happiness with food, which in no way is a bad thing, but it's something to think about when we are considering emotional eating, this type of nostalgia that you can have and happiness associated with these type of foods can make you gravitate towards them when you're feeling emotions that aren't as positive. Social influences can also affect this because when we get together with people, 
we can kind of adhere to what they're having or compare ourselves or even be pressured to have more. I always think of the Italian grandma that's pushing the food that she made, which is such a sweet thing, but it can lead to that kind of emotional eating, overeating element because the other emotions around you and people are influencing how much you should be having. And the last thing is a lack of coping mechanisms and or lack of proper support or positive reinforcements in your life. When we think about coping mechanism, these are things that we want to have when we're experiencing stress or sadness or happiness or whatever it is. And when we don't have these things, we rely on the coping mechanisms that we have laid out, even if they're not the most positive for us. So something like emotional eating can become such a critical coping mechanism for us because we have a lack of other coping mechanisms. So as I go through these, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so is emotional eating a bad thing? Is it something that's okay? What is the deal with emotional eating and why do we talk about it so much? And to be honest, this is a really complicated answer and I'm gonna give you two different answers to this and also two different examples. The first thing that I want to say, because this is the less popular answer, is no, emotional eating is not always bad. And it's especially important to nuance this with the fact that many people say that emotional eating is eating any time that you are not hungry, and that especially is not always bad. And I'm going to explain why even more in depth, but to start off with the first point of why is emotional eating not always bad? It's because of the fact that when we eat, it's not just about fuel. So yes, food is fuel, and it's very important that we use food to fuel ourselves. but food can also fuel connection, it can fuel experiences, it can bring joy, it can do so many other things. And we cannot ignore those aspects of food because otherwise we're not reaching full fulfillment. And food is meant to be in our life in multiple different ways, not just in the sense of food or in the sense of fuel. So when you think about that, if there is a time where you feel like, oh, you know what? I am not as hungry, but I am out with some friends and they really want me to try this cookie that I made them. That's not the end of the world. Or if you go out and you have a few bites extra of food because you're with someone and you weren't a hundred thousand percent hungry because of that, that's okay. You know, it's not so deep that you aren't allowed and unable to do those things because that's putting too much stress on yourself. Now, the other side of this is more of the conversation around the emotional eating itself. So is it bad if you have a bad day and you have some ice cream? I would argue this is also a no, but it is more in the sense of to what extent are we doing this? I think every single one of us has gone through a breakup before or had a really bad day or just had something not go right and gotten some ice cream or had a pizza and If that was something that was happening every single day, that definitely wouldn't be great. And if that's our only coping mechanism, that's the only thing that we can do in order to help to give us solace and to give us comfort, that's also not great because we don't only want to rely on food. But to have some ice cream after a breakup, it is not the end of the world. It's fine. It's human. It is just how things go sometimes. And we should not be beating ourselves up or acting like we have some emotional eating problem because we do something of that nature. 
A very practical example I want to give of this is the whole when is it okay to have dessert thing. And a lot of people will ask me, is it okay to have dessert if I'm not physically hungry for dessert, but I'm mentally hungry for it? And some people say, oh, well, if you're doing that, that's emotional eating. I would actually say that's not true. When I think about having dessert, I don't actually necessarily want to be physically hungry for dessert. I want to be full from my dinner. Maybe I've got a little ache you know, happening in my stomach or a little hunger that's coming up if I've waited a few hours. But realistically, I don't need to be so hungry for dessert. But if I mentally need that satisfaction, I'm happy to have some dessert. And actually being hungry, or sorry, actually being full and not hungry is going to help me to make sure that I don't feel like I get to that dessert and I have to eat so much of it in order to quench that hunger that I could have been feeling. So that's a very good example of how something like that isn't necessarily emotional eating in my opinion. It's just satisfying your different types of hunger. Now, in the opposite sense, when emotional eating or emotional overeating or whatever you want to call it becomes not so great is when it's something that you are constantly doing. And when you're constantly doing something, especially of this type of nature, it's not going to make you feel good over time. You're going to start to feel the effects of following something like this. So an example, right, is feeling like every single day you come home from work and you automatically have all of these different foods, maybe even foods that you typically didn't have or wouldn't have, and you eat them in amounts that really does not make you feel good, and you're doing it specifically as an escape, as a numbing tool, as a way to reduce stress, and you do not feel like you can control yourself in this action, and it's happening all the time, and it doesn't really make you feel good emotionally, or maybe it does, it just depends on the person, but yet it still continues in that pattern. A lot of the time, this can lead to disruption of other types of eating patterns or a disruption in even just how you feel. And that's something that we obviously don't want. This is very clearly explained and using a different, maybe more extreme tactic around coping, right? If we were to drink alcohol, every single day as a numbing tool, we can see that that becomes quite problematic and does not make our feel us feel our best. If we have alcohol occasionally, and I'm not saying this works for everybody, I know there's very many nuances to alcohol itself, but just stick with me for the person that has a normal, healthy relationship with alcohol. If you're having alcohol every now and again as something that is more for an enhancement of the experience, right, more for fun, that's okay, at least for most people. And you that's very different in those examples when you think about it than it is if you're doing it all the time. And also with the intention of numbing the emotion. I think even that's important to think about. Am I doing this to enhance my life to feel better or am I doing this specifically to numb this emotion? So you may be thinking, okay, well, how the heck do I know if I'm emotionally eating or if I'm actually physically hungry. And this is going to be different for every single person, but I'm going to read off a few different ways to tell if it's emotional hunger or physical hunger. So emotional hunger typically comes on suddenly versus physical hunger comes on gradually and somewhat builds. 
emotional hunger feels like it needs to be satisfied instantly, like in that exact moment, versus physical hunger, of course, with the nuance of not saying you've gotten all the way to the extreme where you're starving. And also, why do I keep saying nuance? That is my word of the day. (laughs) But physical hunger can typically wait. Emotional hunger craves specific, very comfortable foods, even maybe some of those foods that are nostalgic for you, such as family foods that you would have had in the past that have a positive tie versus physical hunger is honestly most of the time open to options. Lots of things could sound good. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have cravings when you're physically hungry. It just means that that hunger could be satisfied by different things versus emotional hunger really can only be satisfied by one thing. Emotional hunger full, emotional hunger isn't satisfied with a full stomach sometimes. It makes you feel like you just need to keep going and going and searching for what that that satisfaction is going to be versus physical hunger most often stops when you're full. Emotional eating triggers feelings of guilt, powerlessness, and shame versus eating to satisfy physical hunger doesn't often make you feel those things or make you feel bad about yourself. I really want to give a big disclaimer as I read through this list that if you are in eating disorder recovery, if you are struggling with disordered eating, I honestly would say none of these things apply to you. In a second, we'll discuss more about specifically emotional eating and eating disorder overlap, but this is just for people that more generally want to get an idea about what the typical difference between emotional hunger is and physical hunger. So now that we went through all of this, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, what the heck do I do to help this? And here are my main tips. So the number one thing is identify your triggers. So we went through those triggers in the beginning, right? We have the stress one. We have, um, the stuffing emotions, boredom of feeling of emptiness, happiness of food, slash childhood habits, social influence, lack of coping mechanisms, lack of support, all of those different triggers. And maybe all of those triggers resonate with you, but maybe only a few resonate with you. And it's important to understand what is it for me? Because maybe it's stress for one person and it's, you know, the, the boredom for another person. It can be a lot of different things. So identifying that trigger is really important because then we know how to get to the bottom of it. Because let's just say, for example, your biggest trigger is stress, then the main focus we have is not actually the food. Honestly, most of these, it really has nothing to do with the food. But even especially in this example, if it's stress, we need to work on stress management. And that's the most important thing out of anything else. And even if it's stress as well, you may need to check on your hormones because maybe your cortisol is out of whack from such a long amount of time that can affect your hunger and fullness cues. You may need to get those things checked if you feel like that's the main thing that it's coming from. Now, that's going to be totally different if it comes from that element of nostalgia, from family ties. And that is something different that you may need to work through. You may want to combat that in a different way than you're going to the stress, or you definitely will want to, even if there's some overlap. Now, the second biggest thing, in my opinion, is building a toolkit of coping mechanisms. Now, this is true for whatever you are dealing with, because a toolkit of coping mechanisms is so incredibly important, guys. When you have a toolkit of different things that you can do, it transforms your reactions to things. And it does take some time getting used to it. 
but there is no bigger change to how you are going to live your life than something like this. And this is true for so many different areas. This is true when you're struggling with an eating disorder and disordered eating and any type of struggles around food. Building that toolkit is so important. And this could be so many different things, right? This could be journaling for one person, meditating for another person, going on a walk, calling a friend, watching a TV show. There's no right or wrong when it comes to this as long as it works for you. This is also true of building a support network. I know that some people are very blessed to have more of a support network than others, but if you can even have one person or especially if you can work with someone, a practitioner, be in a program, like even in Live Unrestricted, right? We talk about this a lot and you can come to someone like me with what you're struggling with. It makes such a big difference, but if you can't afford to work with someone, even just having someone in your life that you can talk to, or just know is there makes a huge difference. Now with that, you also need to learn to set boundaries for yourself because maybe you find yourself emotionally overeating every single time you go out with a certain person or every single time you're with your family. And of course we want to allow flexibility with that because we don't want to shut ourselves out from possibilities and from connection. But you can also just set boundaries if someone starts making fun of you and saying, oh my gosh, you're not going to eat all of that or oh, wow, you ate so fast. You can respond with that and say whatever feels the most fitting. Something along the lines of, you know what? I'm actually really full. Do you want any of mine? Or maybe you won't say that to anybody. But you know what I'm saying. Just set up those boundaries and become comfortable with the fact that only you knows how much you really need. Now, the last thing, and in my opinion, the most important thing or arguably the most important is to learn to sit with your emotions. Most of the time, we're going to think about this in terms of negative emotions, but I do think that this could even be true for positive emotions. And an example of this is the being sad, coming home every single night when we're sad or when we're having emotions or when we're dealing with stress and eating instead of dealing with those. Instead of going on a walk or journaling about it or meditating or calling a friend or a therapist and telling someone about it. We just bottle all these things up inside and we stuff them down or we numb and that's because we're uncomfortable sitting with those feelings that we may not like. And I do feel like even with positive emotions, we almost didn't try to move through it too quickly. It's like we have this win and we do this big celebration of maybe eating all these things or drinking or whatever it is and then we're like, okay, now it's done. But why can't we just allow ourselves to savor that a little bit differently? It makes a big difference. So this is a pretty comprehensive list of tools and tips to use, but there are, of course, more things that you can do and everyone is different, but there are also some things that I don't share because number one, I find that the things that I shared here are what actually get to the root of the emotional eating rather than just skimming the surface and managing the quote unquote symptoms of it. Number two, I find that there are very problematic or at least somewhat problematic tips that are shelled out there about emotional eating. The tips that I'm thinking of, I don't really want to go through all of them because I don't want people to do them, but it's stuff like keeping a food diary or removing quote-unquote temptations or trigger foods from your diet or not ordering them at a restaurant. It's also stuff to do with the pace of what you're eating or certain habits during the process of eating. And I'm not totally saying that those are bad things to do. I'm not saying it's horrible to take 
a second or five minutes to ask yourself, how am I really feeling? Am I really hungry for this? Where is this craving coming from? But there's little things that I see online that I would not suggest doing. And I would really go back to these bigger tips that I shared with you because they're going to help you to even implement little changes once you figure out exactly what your triggers are. I don't like these rules because they are restrictive in nature and they also sell this idea that you basically are dealing with these challenges because you lack self-control. And they also are using a food type of solution to fight an emotional problem. So what that means is when you think, oh, I'm emotionally eating, if it's an emotional issue, why would we be trying to change the food in order to affect the emotion, right? And then on the other side, lack of self-control is honestly, very rarely something that is contributing to this. There was actually an article that talked about this. A dietitian says, the reality is that most of the time, emotional eating has nothing to do with lack of self-control. In fact, you probably have plenty of it. And since food rules are all about encouraging self-control, it's not surprising that they don't always solve emotional eating in the long run. Love that so much. So you may be wondering, even as I go through all of this then and allude to these food rules, what where is the intersect between eating disorders, disordered eating, struggles with your relationship with food, and emotional eating? And this is also a complicated answer because every single type of struggle with food is very different. But there is a study that actually looked into this and they spoke about eating disorders, emotional eating, or sorry, eating disorders, disordered eating, all that stuff as eating dysregulation. And what they found is that individuals who experience heightened stress levels also suffered from lower eating regulation ability, which keep in mind that stress is very much so caused by disordered habits around food. And also, higher eating dysregulation was also directly related to higher emotional eating. The reason why this happens is because a lot of the time, emotional eating is considered eating when you're not hungry. And when you are struggling with disordered eating or eating disorders or any type of struggles with food, dieting, All of those things not only affect your hunger and fullness cues, they also affect your cravings and how your body reacts around food. So I'm going to give you an example because I think it will make it easier to understand. What I see so often is people that wake up, you know, maybe they have their coffee, they decide, you know what, I'm not that hungry this morning, so I'm just going to have coffee for breakfast. Then they go to lunch, they're so busy that they don't even notice that they're hungry, so they're like, oh, you know, I don't really need lunch, right? Then next thing you know, they get to a snack time or to dinner time, and they're like, oh, you know what, I actually do need to eat. And next thing you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I ate so much past hunger, and I ate all these things that I didn't think I was going to have, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
that is something that is not emotional eating just because you're struggling with an emotion. That is not properly setting your body up for success to be able to crave and have the right things. Because in that point, your body is like, oh my gosh, I need food. I need food. I'm so hungry. I'm going to crave the highest energy foods, the most pleasurable foods, because I haven't gotten any of this all day and now I need it. Now, in a more extreme case of an eating disorder, because the example I just gave could be for an ED, but it also could be for someone that kind of just forgets to eat enough or has a little bit of dysregulation, not even in as much of a disordered sense. But when we come to EDs, so many people think they're emotional eating because they won't allow themselves so many foods. And then when they are around those foods, then they quote unquote lose control. So let's say you don't let yourself have cookies. You finally let yourself have a cookie and you eat 10 of those cookies. That's not emotional eating. That is a response to tons of time that you are restricting yourself and your body and your mind having a scarcity mindset from not getting enough mental or physical satisfaction and therefore over relying on these foods. And this will change over time as you regulate the foods that you're restricting, add them back in and also, of course, address the emotional pieces. So if you were listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, I'm such an emotional eater, I do all of these things, but yet you fall into more of a disordered path, this doesn't really apply to you. And I think that's really important to recognize because so many people that I work with come to me telling me how they're such bad emotional eaters, but really there's so many reasons as to why they are dealing with that quote unquote emotional eating. And none of it is really due to actually being an emotional eater. It's due to all of these other other things that they're dealing with. Now, that's not to say that you can't observe yourself and see, ooh, is stress contributing to how I'm feeling and to my disorders stuff? Or is, you know, family attachment or whatever it is. I mean, family attachment in terms of like looking back at those old memories and all that stuff, because those may still play into this picture, but you don't want to treat emotional eating by doing any of those quote unquote typical rules. Because obviously if you were to do something like a journal or a food diary or removing trigger foods, it's only going to make things way, way worse. So I did pretty good. We're right under 30 minutes. I hope that this is helpful and just jam-packed with that information and that nitty-gritty stuff that you wanted to know. When it comes to the diet culture piece of this, what I think is the most diet culture is the fact that we've made emotional eating out to be the most negative thing ever when it really isn't always negative. We need to allow ourselves to have just the human piece of, you know, eating something when we're sad. We also need to allow ourselves to have the reminder that food actually does fuel us in all different ways. So if you're eating when you're not hungry, that doesn't just mean you're an emotional eater. It's all about the extent to which both of these things are happening. And the other thing that I think is diet culture is how people take this to a restrictive nature and the way in which they speak about it. Because that is never a positive thing to act like the way to fix a non-food issue is by controlling the food more. And oftentimes it makes it even worse. Plus, I feel like emotional eating is somewhat of a diet culture creation just because it's another one of those words that isn't really real, but it's still something now that we very typically use in the nutrition and food rhetoric, and that always gives a little bit of a diet culture vibe, doesn't it? So my rating for this on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being 
or zero technically being no diet culture at all, 10 being the most diet culture possible, is about, mm, I mean, it's going to depend, right? I, I would give it maybe, let's give it, I had six, but now as I talked through it, I'm like, is it really a six? Maybe it's more like a four, but if you're taking it in a diet culture way, maybe more like a six. Let me know what you guys think. I was kind of stumped on this one because I definitely think diet culture contributes, but not to the same extent as some other things. So always let me know what you think. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful. Always feel free to send me a DM. It means the world when you message me and tell me what you think, when you send me topic ideas, when you post on your story, when you share with someone, and especially when you give that rating or review. Your support it never, ever goes unnoticed, and I am so grateful for it. I don't know if there's anything else I have to say or announcements, so I'll let you guys off the hook this time, but I cannot wait to see you back here next week.